I'm really excited to share today. Today is my brother's 39th birthday. I'm a little brother. I should say I'm a younger brother. I'm not the little brother. I'm a bit, I'm bigger than he is, but my, my older brother turns 39 today. So having a sibling bond is a special one. And I love my brother. Um, and for a long time, he was my hero. But with boys, as you know, there can be, it can be a little rough and tumble at times. And I'm reminded of a time in my childhood, my parents both worked in a hospital, and so there would be times that my brother and I would be alone. And around 25 years ago, one Christmas, it was Christmas Eve, me and my brother were decorating the tree, and it was just the two of us, and I was, I know this might be hard to believe, it, but I'm kind of a nudge, and I would know how to press his buttons, and you know, we would like to have, you know, I maybe thought it was fun, but I would mess with my brother to no end because I've had so long with my brother messing with me and being the little brother, and we would get on each other's nerves. But one day, uh, and it was really remarkable that it was around Christmas, me and him, we tussled a little bit, and I, it got physical. And I, I got my brother really upset. I'm, I, I miss him and love him dearly. But I can remember in my mind pushing his buttons, and I remember him having enough of, enough of it and he went to give me this roundhouse karate kick, and he was going to send me into oblivion. And I just went like this, and I moved. And there his foot went right through the wall. And I just remember, oh, no, we're in it now. I remember that feeling. I can think back, and I remember, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to explain what happened. But then something came on and was like, you know what, I'm going to be okay. I didn't do it. He did it. He's going to be in trouble. And I remember thinking through that, like, wait, I'm good here. And my mom came home, and I remember my mom being not angry, but heartbroken. I remember my mom standing us both there and talking to us about explaining ourselves for what we did. And I remember the shock, like, wait, this cat almost killed me. Like, you should be mad at me. You should be mad at him. But there's something about having to answer for something that you don't feel like you should, you should have to answer to. There's something about having to be accountable for things where you might not see yourself as guilty. That interaction brought me to something when I think about Jesus. And I think about in John, we're going to read in John chapter 18 today when he stands before Pilate. But unlike me, Jesus was blameless. See, I had some skin of the game. There were things that I did wrong that day. But Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. So I'm just going to read the text first and then we'll dive into it. John chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 33. Pilate then went back inside to the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, it was your people, your chief priest that handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. With this, he went out and again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But is your custom for me to release one prisoner at this time of Passover? Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Now, this, this, to me, it's like the most critical point in Jesus' life. It's right before he's about to be hung on a cross. And we have this interaction with four different character groups. We have Jesus, Pilate, 
the chief priests and Pharisees, and we have Barabbas. I just want to look at these four, these four groups and how they break down and what they tell us about ourselves. First, we got the chief priests, we got the Pharisees, we have the church leaders at the time. They were so angry and jealous of Jesus. They wanted him gone. They wanted him killed. So they found a way to finally say, hey, look, we're going to do this politically, and we're going to get him put to death by the government. You know, in a time of such craziness with, with government, it just, it's, it's, it reminds me that so many of these struggles that we face, and we think where the government's gone off the rails, or we look for government for answers. Folks, I just want to take a quick aside. Says, government's been getting it wrong for a long time, so don't think they're going to get it right now. Let me just say that. They put you, I, you know, I just, don't get me started, I'm in government, unfortunately, so I shouldn't bash it, but our, our hope really shouldn't be in, in folks that are elected office, except me. Um, <laughs> so we have, the chief, we have the chief priests, we have the Pharisees, they're one group. Then we have Pilate. Pilate, the perfect picture of what a politician was. See, Pilate had all the authority, Pilate had all the power. If he really wanted to, to deal with this, he could have. He could have put them in line. He could have used his might and say, yeah, we're going to deal with this my way. This guy didn't do anything wrong. We're going to let him go. But he's making a political calculation. We have Jesus, and we'll get, I'll, I'll dig more into him. And we also have Barabbas. This text says he was a part of a rebellion. If you look at the other Gospels, he talks about he was a, a murderer. Just a really, really bad guy. Now, for most of my life, folks, I'm going to tell you, whenever I heard this passage or read it, I was always caught by how awful it was that church leaders would, want to, one, want to kill Jesus, and two, pick a murderer over Jesus. That always struck me. Why would the people of the time, man, they got to see and interact with Jesus, how could they miss the boat so badly that they would pick a murderer? You know, I wasn't here last week to, to, to hear Mark. I, just heard, I heard it online, but it's amazing how God worked the two messages together because I feel like there's going to be a bridge from what you heard last week into today. Because I, I feel like I was so easy to judge the Pharisees, the chief priests, and Barabbas. See, far too often we don't realize... That sin is sin, and that there's equal foot at the cross, and that no matter what somebody does, no matter how bad they've blown it with the actual person of Jesus, you know, I'm no different. I'm no different than Barabbas. I'm no different than a Pharisee. Because there's been times in my life where I've said no to Jesus. There's times on a daily basis where I make decisions that say, I'm not going to choose Jesus, I'm going to choose something else. But it's amazing how we're wired to look at somebody else and say, wait, they really blew it. Folks, I want to encourage us not to really associate ourselves with the folks that look down on others, but folks that we look at other people and see the same sin that afflicted us is afflicting other people. See, when you have folks in recovery, when you have folks that have dealt with cancer, there's an ability to relate to one another based on their shared experience. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, that means you've accepted that Jesus Christ paid a penalty for your sin. That your sin separated you from a holy God. And because you had that sin, that you couldn't get right with God without a payment. A perfect payment. 
So why is it that so often we see ourselves above others? We look at people like Barabbas. We look at people like the Pharisees, like, man, they really got it bad. They really are missing it. Folks, we miss it too at times. We miss it too at times. You know, it's, it's almost as though we don't realize at one point without Christ we were morally bankrupt. We had a debt that we couldn't pay. We forget from where whence we came. I was lost and without hope, but then Jesus came. As they stood there and watched and got ready to murder our, our, our Savior, they were more willing to sacrifice Him than look at their own selves. Folks, in this day and age, I think we got to realize where, who we are and where we came from. We've been saved. We've been saved. We've been set apart. We've been rescued by Jesus Christ. And just like Pilate is there, not knowing how to handle truth, there is a world around you that is lost. There is a world around you that is looking for hope. The question is, when they see you, what do they see? Do they see people that are in the business of lining up people and telling them where they're wrong, like the chief priest did? No, they're no, no, he's wrong. He's done work on the Sabbath. He's a king on earth. Only you're kings, so you've got to get rid of them. Are we those kind of people? Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. I'm getting excited. I'm going to start sweating, so don't mind me. If the jacket comes off, don't get upset. It just means that I'm moving in there. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I like to sweat. It reminds me of old-time religion. My dad was born in Covington, uh, Covington uh, Virginia. There's, the town he lived in, it was uh, Clifton Forge. There was one red light in the town. The church was right on the Main Street, Main Street Baptist Church. I took my kids there uh, last summer, and it's just old-time Baptist religion. It is and the pastor would get up. The more he sweats, the more the Holy Spirit's working. So I'm going to say the same thing for me. And then we have Jesus Christ. So we have the chief priests. We have the Pharisees. We have Pilate, a clueless politician. Doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know what truth is. Says, what is truth? We have Barabbas, a murderer. Folks, I find it powerful that our salvation comes out of people blowing it. We get so moved on the inside when people do something wrong to us, around us, in front of us, on TV, in government. We get so upset. We get so moved when people blow it. Isn't it amazing that our salvation, our deliverance came from people blowing it? God can use people blowing it to save us. I find that powerful. Then we have the person of Jesus, perfect blameless, falsely accused, and facing the death penalty. The one thing I want to talk about first is Jesus has the power to to set all this straight. Jesus could, at any time, just say, you know what, I I don't want this to happen, this is not going to happen. Hey, Pilate, you don't have enough to, you know, put me to death. You know, he, he could put the chief priests in line, he could put the Pharisees in line. But Jesus doesn't choose to do that. How many times are we invited to a trap? How many times are we invited to an argument where we think we need to go in there hard-charging, come on strong, and let people know who we are as believers, as people who have been saved? We feel like we need to answer certain calls and come on strong and say, no, you can't do that. I'm a Christian. I'm an American. 
I'm not making light of those things, but sometimes I think we need to change our approach and I think we need a dose of humility. See, Jesus Christ was so humble, He didn't use His power in this time. Our deliverance from sin came from a humble Savior who allowed Himself to be falsely accused and hung on a tree. Folks, I think we need to be reminded of the humility of Jesus Christ. Just because we're invited somewhere doesn't mean we need to follow it. But the... Instead, what I want to talk about is what Jesus did say. For this reason I was born, for this reason I came into the world, and to testify to the truth. Testify. See, folks, whether you believe it or not, your life is going to testify to something. Your life is going to speak to something, not just in the words that you say, but the actions you have. People are watching you also. They're going to see what your life testifies to. What I find so powerful is in the moment where his life is at stake, Jesus doesn't advocate for his freedom. Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, you really shouldn't do this to me. I didn't do anything wrong. You shouldn't kill me. He acknowledges who he is. He talks about his kingdom being in another place. But he says the reason he was born, the reason he was sent here, was to testify to the truth. Folks, we know what the truth is. Jesus said he is the truth. He is the way, and He is the life, that no one can get to the Father except through Him. That was just a few pages before in John 14. So if Jesus Christ Himself, when, the t- when push came to shove, if His answer is, I can't testify to the truth. Guys, that truth is based in, it's rooted in the fact that we're separated from God. No matter what we do, no matter what we try, there's a separation between us and a holy God. And Jesus, when it it came time to answer, he said, that's why I came. To bear witness to that, to the fact that we need a way out of this thing called sin. Folks, today I'm going to challenge you to think, what do you testify to? What does your life speak to? I don't know. I can't answer for you. I can't answer for you. There's got to be a day of reckoning. There's got to be a way that we can evaluate ourselves and think, you know what, if Christ said he came to testify to something, don't I have to answer the same question? Don't I have to answer the same calling? That my life should testify to the truth. See, the unique part about our lives is we live in this world and people are watching us. As a believer, you've said that, hey, look, not only have I screwed up and I've messed up but Je- and Jesus saved me, but I'm working and I'm living toward, the pla- toward this place the Bible calls heaven. See, Jesus didn't get caught up in the affairs of this world. Jesus didn't get caught up in the muck. He didn't answer the questions and he didn't live like his home was here. He had another kingdom. He didn't answer the traps that Satan laid, for, uh, Satan laid for in Matthew 4 when Satan is tempting him. He could have put Satan in his place. He could have dealt with Satan in a different way. But folks, he wanted to testify to something. My challenge to you today, my call to you today, is an evaluation of what your life testifies to. 
See, last week Mark talked about judging and what happens when we judge and maybe why do we judge and what are we looking at when we do judge. I have to say today I want to move past the absence of judging and to the presence of testifying. We can't just lack judgment and then be okay, well, I'm not going to judge, I'm just going to sit here, I'll watch everybody else screw up, but I'm not going to judge them. Folks, we got to get in the game of testifying to a truth. Because if you haven't noticed, in this world, truth's real relative. Truth is a changing target, and truth changes based on how people feel. But as believers, I believe now's the time for us to say, no, there's only one truth. No, there's only one truth, and I know it. That truth has been exposed to me, and that truth has changed my life. I think believers now, more than ever, now more than ever, we need to not only be engaged in not judging, but we need to be in the business of testifying to something greater. Testifying to what Jesus Christ did for us. I believe there needs to be a divergence. It can't just be last week. I believe we need to take last week, take it, put it deep into our hearts. We need to stop judging people because there's only one judge and it's not us. But I believe what we need to do is talk about what God's done in your life. If you're a believer, if you know heaven is your home, does your life right now, does it testify to that truth? And when you go about your business, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're with your friends, when you're with your family, your life says something. Your words mean something. And believers, I want to encourage you. I want what your life means to be the same thing that Jesus said. I want it to testify to the truth. See, folks, we have the power. We have the power of God. The power of that Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, conquered the grave, gives us a way to heaven. We have that in us. We live in a lost and dying and broken world. I believe there are more people that are like Pilate that say blatantly, what is truth? Folks, people are looking for truth. It's amazing. They were looking for truth then, and they're looking for truth now. If you know you're a believer, you have it. If you know that you're going to heaven, you have the truth inside of you. You've embraced that truth. You say, I want to get to heaven. I know Jesus is the way. The question is, what does your life say about it? What do your words say about it? How does how you live say about how you're testifying to that same truth? See, when I was, yeah, to me, the church goes through these phases of time and I know it was very prevalent at one time to say, you know what, I'm going to let my life be an example of how I'm living. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to live my life in a way that shows that I love Jesus. Folks, I would challenge you, we need to be more than just a living example. I believe our words are powerful. We communicate every day with words. But how often do we miss opportunities to use words to tell people about Jesus Christ? Look, I know it's uncomfortable. I know in the world that we live in, you might see it as, yo, you're one of those. I don't, but darn it, don't I want to be seen as one of those? Don't I want to be seen as a person who's so changed by the truth that I'm willing to talk about it wherever I go? I'm so willing to talk about it that once you ask me, hey, what makes your life different? Hey, why are you so passionate about it? Because I was headed to hell. Look, I might not be a prisoner who killed somebody, but I was headed to hell. And there's no difference between me and those inmates. Spiritually, there is no difference. My sin, their sin, it's the same. 
it separated all of us from the, from the holy God. Folks, I believe what we need to be engaged in the business of testifying. If Jesus Christ, when asked who he is and what he's doing, he said, for this reason I came to testify to that truth. Embarrassingly, if somebody said to me, hey, Jim, what's the reason you're here? I don't know if I'd answer to testify to the truth. Folks, I'm going to be real honest. Sometimes I care a lot about Jim. Sometimes I care a lot about Jim. How I feel, what I get, who gives me respect. I can get real caught up in caring about Jim. But you know what's amazing? That's not how Jesus lived. That's not how Jesus lived. And when it came time to answer, what he said was he pointed to a truth that was bigger than him. To a calling that was what God said, hey son, I'm going to send you down there so those people could have a way to me. That's what Jesus, when, when rubber hit the road, when push came to shove, that's what Jesus said his life was all about. Folks, what's your life all about? I believe that you're, you get it because you're here on an early morning when you lost an hour of sleep, you came into the house of God, so you get it. You get it. Hey, look, there's something special here. There's a reason that I want to show up to church. You get it. Is your hope in showing up to church? Is your hope in saying, you know what, I do the church things, I do the Christian things. God, give me a break, I'm coming here, I give them some money, I listen to Pastor Mark, I listen to that big sweaty guy. Like, I, like God, I showed up. Like, God, I showed up. Like, doesn't that mean something? Folks, Jesus Christ came and lived his life, didn't do anything wrong. He was nailed to a cross because he believed in a truth. It's more than just going to church. It's more than just giving a little money. It's your whole life. We've got to testify to something. We've got to live for something greater. Folks, I mess up. I screw up all the time. But man, the call on my life is to testify to the truth. Testify. Yo, it's hard. I get it, it's hard. Do you think it was easy for Jesus? It certainly wasn't. God gave him the power. Folks, I believe if you're a believer, there's a call on your life to testify to truth. And it's more than just doing what's right on a day and a day. That's hard too. But folks, we got to get being engaged in the business of sharing our testimony of what God's done in our life. I believe that we need more of that. Not more of, hey, the world's screwed up, the world's wrong. People People know they're wrong. I just hate the... They don't want to admit it, but they don't... They know it. But what folks need to see is humility, and they need to see what makes you different. What makes us different is we know we're wrong, the truth's been exposed, and our life has changed because of it. I believe the church is losing sacred ground because we're more in the business of telling others where they're wrong instead of how we've been saved. We were morally wrong. We were headed to hell. But by the grace of God, he saved us. You want to see revival in America? You want to see neighborhoods change? Start talking about how God's working in your life. How Jesus Christ saved your soul. I believe that's how things change. Not by telling people how they're wrong. Not by telling them how screwed up they were. I believe there's power in saying, yo, I was so screwed up. But you know what? Jesus Christ loved me so much that he left heaven, came to earth, died on the cross, just so I'd have a way to deal with my screw-ups. And I use that hope every day. I use that power every day. I need his power every day. 
Folks need to feel loved. Folks need to feel loved. There's so much power in feeling loved. People are looking for love in all the wrong places. But in that truth, God says, in in His power of the Scripture, God says He demonstrated His love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, the people that you know in your life that don't know Jesus, they're hurting, they don't feel loved, even if they don't admit it. They might trust themselves and think, you know what, I'm okay. Folks, we need to be in the business of letting folks know that they're loved even when they're wrong. God's going to be able to convict them of where they're wrong. We don't need to be in that business. I think we should talk more about how we've been wrong and how God saved us. Folks, folks need to know that even though they're wrong, God loves them. Even though they're wrong, even though they've been, they've been doing wrong, they're, they're lost in wherever they are, that there's a way out. And what greater way to show a way out than to say, you know what? He made a way out for me. He made a way out for me. Jesus Christ said for the reason he was put on this earth was to testify the truth. Man, that's powerful. Folks, I don't like to, to beat you up, but I want to be a church. I want to be a people that are engaged in testifying, talking about what God's done in their life. People every day are facing the criticism of their decisions and their choices. You know, decisions have fallout. Choices have repercussions. I get it. God's going to deal with them. It's not like because they freed Barabbas, God didn't deal with Barabbas. Jesus didn't say, wait, hold up. I got to deal with Barabbas. I got to set this straight. We want to set a lot of things straight in this world instead of testifying to who God is. Folks, we got it backwards and we need to switch it up. We need to testify what God's done. Let him work out where everybody else is wrong. I feel very passionate about that. Maybe that's because I spend the majority of my time in prison. I work in prison. I minister in prison. I vacation in prison. These folks feel beat up, left down. They feel like they're not human. But as a believer, if you read the, if you believe the power of the scripture, they're made in God's image. Your neighbor is made in God's image. Your, ma- your neighbor was, is loved so much by Jesus Christ that he died on a cross for them. So shouldn't that change the way you interact with them? Your coworker who doesn't know Jesus Christ. God sent his son to die for them. Shouldn't that change the way we talk? Man, that's a, that's a sobering thing for me because I'm around non-believers all the time. I find comfort in saying, oh, well, you're that guy who ministers in prison, so I, I feel like I can mail it in. Hey, they know who I am. They know what I stand for. So maybe I don't need to take this opportunity. How wrong is that? I need to testify to the truth all the time. I can't just mail it in. Jesus Christ didn't mail it in. Why should I? If God put me in a spot, why not testify to what he's done for me? Folks, we got to show up. We got to show up and start testifying to what God has done in us. Last week's sermon was so good. We got to stop judging. We got to take the next step. We got to testify what God's done in our life. Maybe that means you need to be re engaged with your Savior. Maybe that means you've been taking the whole thing like, I know where I'm going when I die. I've got to make it through. My kids are a headache. My job's a mess. I'm just trying to soldier through. 
Maybe you need to change the way you're looking at things. Maybe as a believer, you need to shout in the arm. You need to say, hey, look, my God's already won. I can face whatever's in front of me. I know he's bigger than my problems. And I know he wants me to tell people about him. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're a non-believer. Maybe you're like Pilate and saying, what is truth? There is so much out there, what truth is and what's going on. Maybe you don't know. Folks, the truth is, if you don't know Christ today, God loves you. In John 3, 16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes should, have, should not perish and have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be saved. Guys, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, you need a Savior. You need a way out. Not just out of hell and eternal damnation, but there's no other way to handle this life without God. There's no other way. You might be fooled into see, you might see people around you having some earthly success. You know what? They're broken inside. They're missing something inside. If you're missing something today, what's stopping you from embracing Jesus Christ? What's stopping you? Is it your pride? Is it you don't want to let go? I know life hurts. I know life hurts. But if you don't know Jesus, it's going to hurt a lot worse over and over and over again because there's no hope there. So maybe you're a believer and you need a shot in the arm. You need some encouragement. Folks, I'm here to encourage you that the reason when Jesus came to answer, the reason he said he was here was to testify to the truth. Folks, I would encourage you to do the same thing. I would encourage you to, in your daily walk, to start testifying to what God has done for you. And I believe that's how lives change. This passage has been deep in my heart. Uh, a month ago, I lost my granddad. 93 years old, patriarch of our family. His testimony changed my life. See, I started ministering in prisons before I knew his testimony. One day, he shared it with me. At a young age... Um, he, he became incarcerated himself. I said, Granddad, what are you talking about? Now, this guy worked 40 years for the American Baptist Association of Churches. He was an accountant. I said, what do you mean you, you, you were locked up, Granddad? When he was born, he was left at the hospital by his parents. Was raised in the foster, system, foster care system and abused every way imaginable. Sexually, verbally, physically. Just passed through the system and abused and hurt and broken. I would have never imagined that. This is my granddad. I thought he just lived a life. I thought he just got old, had kids, and now he's my granddad. And he started telling me about his life. And he started telling me about the placements that he had and how people would treat him. And the straw had that broke his back when he was a teenager, how one family took him in and they used him. They would say to their biological son, why aren't you more like Charlie? Why aren't you more like Charlie? Why don't you live like Charlie was? Charlie was doing. Charlie does what we say. And he told me how that, bi how that biological son said to him, I hate you, I wish you were never here. So he's dealing with all this stuff. He's dealing with all the stuff that's been done to him. His foster father is now hating him. He runs away. And in those days, in the 30s, when you ran away, they would lock you up. They locked him up and put him in the Candy Ca Camden County Detention Home. And somebody came there from a local church and showed him Jesus Christ. I didn't know that when I got started ministering. I used, I, I, I be candid with you, I love sports, I love my faith, so I saw it as a way to engage my love of sports and my love of God. 
this precious man shared with me deep in his age how he found Christ behind a wall. I'll never be able to thank those people that showed up and, showed, and shared Jesus Christ with him. I'll never be able to thank him. But you know where the power is, folks? That because they showed up, because they testified who Jesus was, my granddad's life changed, my parents were born, their, their kids all know the Lord. So because somebody showed up, somebody answered the call, somebody went and talked about who Jesus Christ was, my granddad got saved. And look at where I am today, all because someone showed up 80 years ago. Folks, that's how families change. That's how lives change. When we start to testify to who God is. And we share it with our words. We share it with our life. That's how things change. That's how families change. Sometimes we think maybe we should just show up and just bring people to church, sit them in a pew and say, now Mark's preaching, you better listen because he's going to set you free. Folks, it's on us. Folks, it's on us to live out our faith. It's on us to testify. I would encourage you today to evaluate yourself. Evaluate your life. Where are you today? Are you a believer in a need of some encouragement? Are you a believer in a need of a refocusing? Hey, you know what? Maybe I need to stop telling people how wrong they are and how good God is. Maybe that's the business I need to be in. I want to encourage believers because I believe too often believers are beat down, shut down, and worn out by this world. I get it. The world stinks. But God has you are for where you are for a reason. You, ha- you have the neighbors you do. You have the co-workers you do. You have the family you do because you're going to testify to them. You're going to testify to them. So the question is, what are you testifying to? Yourself? how bad the world is, are you testifying the truth? Folks, I want our body of believers to be in the business of testifying the truth. That's what God put on my heart for today. That's what I wanted to share with you today. We need to be active. We need to be engaged. And we need to be testifying to some truth. I'm going to pray now. And wherever you're at spiritually, you're going to have to answer for God, not, answer to God, not me. You're going to have to be honest with him, not me. Let's take a second. Let's think about where we are before we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for who you are and how much you love us. We don't deserve the gospel that's been shared with us. We don't deserve the saving that's been offered to us. But but God, you so graciously pour it out on us. God, right now, I pray today would be a time of evaluation and realization. That we would see where we are in this business of testifying. Are we taking time out to explain to people who we are, how God saved us, and what our life has become because of an interaction with Jesus Christ? If we need to do some more of that, God, I believe believe today would be the day that we start. That we would start telling folks about who God is and how great God has been to us. Because, God, you certainly have been. You saved us from eternal damnation. You saved us from a life of brokenness and no hope. And you have given us so much hope. I pray that we could spread it. 
I pray that we would start spreading it today with joy on our hearts, smiles on our face. This life may be hard, God, but we would talk about the greatness of you. And God, for any unbeliever that's here today, I pray that they wouldn't go to sleep tonight, tonight without embracing the truth of the scripture. They wouldn't go to sleep tonight without embracing your gift for them. You stand at the door of their heart and knock. I pray that they would let you in, Lord. I pray that they would feel your love wrap around their arms. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter where they've been. God, you love them and you know where they've been anyway. I pray that all, anybody who hears my voice today that doesn't know you, they would embrace you today, Lord. They would get right with you today. And God, I'm so thankful to be in this body of believers. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church. I pray that we would encourage one another to be in the business of testifying to the truth. That it wouldn't be more uh, just a social uh, get-together than when we come here. We would s- encourage each other to get in the fight, get in the game, and testify to who you are and what you've done in our lives. I'm excited at the prospect. I'm excited at the opportunities that you're going to put in front of us. Because I'm excited to see you show up, Lord. I'm excited to see you show up and change the lives of us and the people around us. And spreading the hope that your gospel brings. I'm so thankful for you and who you are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.